Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Tamarcus. Ty, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good. How's your morning going? It is going good. Got my cup of tea ready <laughs> okay. to discuss. You gave up coffee for Lent, right? Because watching that you I drink did. tea is just it's it's a little strange. Odd. It's hard for me to get my head around. I know so. it's it's not. It's like a it's like a part of me is missing, but I think that's why I had to step away from it. Yeah, because I shouldn't say things like that. Praise God. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, I kind of gave up. Well, I'm trying to give up screens for Lent, uh, mm. as well as just fasting. But um, yeah, giving up the screens. Uh, same thing. I feel like I'm missing a part of me, and that's making me question, am I doing this life right? Which the answer is usually no. So anyways, <laughs> we're joined today, and I'm super excited to have our guest, Dr. John Dyer, on. Dr. John Dyer uh, is a professor of theological studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's a prolific writer on topics of technology and its impact on ministry and Christian thinking. A few of his wonderful books include From the Garden to the City, which was re-released recently, um, needed to be updated, I guess because technology changes at the speed of light. Uh, also, People of the Screen and Ecclesiology for a Digital Church. We highly commend all of his works to you, and we're excited to get to talk to him today. Uh, Dr. Dyer, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad to be here, albeit on Zoom, but it's glad to see you all. Yeah, it's great to see you too. Um, I know I just did a little, you know, I, I we always get to do the sort of uh, Wikipedia entry or, you know, back of the book, uh, uh, you know, introduction. But I would love to know uh, how, how did technology specifically sort of capture your imagination and interest, especially as it relates to the church? Like maybe just give us a, a little bit of a window into your life and, mm. and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. Well, I, I grew up in kind of the eighties and nineties. So like stranger things about monsters, you know, and I, and I loved, I always loved computers and that kind of stuff. But remember in those days, that was pretty nerdy. So you didn't want to be known for that. Right. So it was always on the side. <laughs> and you know, my dad was a doctor. So when I went to college, I did all the pre-med stuff and did MCAT and all that. But um, for some reason, I decided to take a job as a youth pastor. And it was just a part-time job right out of college. Sure. And during that time, I thought, I need to make some more money. And so I figured I could go get a job as a web developer early 2000s. And, and that sort of set me on this trajectory of going, man, I can do some ministry and I can do some technology. And initially, those were really separate fields. But somewhere along the way, I started to have somebody you know, challenge me to say, you know, one of the worst things you can do is to believe that technology is neutral. And I was like, that's exactly what I believe. And so it, it started to really pull these two things together and make me think, man, I, I need to be more reflective about what I'm making because I think of myself as a technology creator and a technology critic and trying to draw those two selves together. So that's kind of how it happened. I love what you just said, uh, creator and critic. I think that's I, interesting. I so often need to be pulled out of my cynicism. And so as I <laughs> I, I, I just seriously, I mean, I think about social media, I think about information everywhere. I see that we're the most informed generation ever, safest generation, richest. These are all statistically speaking, and yet we're the mm -hmm. most depressed, mm -hmm. meaning starved, mm -hmm. anxious generation mm -hmm. ever. And I, 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 I 
you know, you if you just watch the numbers, exactly the the like as technology, a specific type of technology has entered the the stream of commerce and our hands and everything else. You can watch kind of anxiety, depression, all those things kind of go Steep up rise. at the same time. But there's also so much good. I was having this conversation earlier with Chelsea, our audio engineer, and saying, like, when it comes to medical technology. I'm like, oh, this Amen. is just progress. Keep going, keep yeah, going. Exactly. When it comes to energy technology, I'm like, whoa, how incredible. We can help the environment and create jobs and do all, you know. But when it comes to this other side, whether it's internet or, I, I don't know, information technology, I'm not sure what I'm saying. I just get so cynical so mm. quickly. Is that the right attitude? How do you think about it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, we do live in a pretty you know, cynical age, I think, and, and it would take a lot of steps to go back. But sure. I, I generally kind of start with a group of, you know, two big things I want to hold in tension, right? Okay. And, and I will often ask audiences, I, I hinted at this a minute ago, but, you know, I often ask audiences, do you think a technology is good, bad, or neutral? And almost always, maybe 5% will say good, 5% will say bad, 90% will say neutral. Right. And I'm going, okay, I want to try to push against this. Mm. And I want you to hold two things in tension. One is that theologically speaking, technology is good. It's part of what it means to be human in the world. God has told us that he is a creator. We're made in his image and we're going to fill the earth and have dominion over it and care for the garden. All mm. of that requires some level of technology and human making. Mm. And we can break apart different kinds of technology in a minute. And then, But the other side of that is that it's never neutral and that when we use technology, it's always forming us at the same time. Mm. So example that's just so easy and so safe, it doesn't hurt our feelings is to use a shovel first. And so, you know, if, if you think about a shovel, you know, you dig a hole and you change the world, right? The world is a different place than it was before. And yet, you know, when you start using a shovel, your your hands get changed over time. So you get little blisters. And if you do it more, then you get, you get uh, you know, calluses and use it more and your muscles change. You use mm. it more and your mind changes because you understand the soil. So in that forming the world, we get formed at the same time. And so you're trying to hold up this, this idea that, man, being human is to use and make tools. That's part of what we do. And at the same time, our tools are shaping us. And so we, as, you, as, you, as you hold those together, you're going, oh, well, that's, that's why there's so many of these good and bad uses over here, but also why those aren't the most important things. So with the show example, I could be, you know, building a church and doing this great work for God, or right. I could be, you know, ax murdering and, and putting people's bodies in the ground, sure. but either way I get formed, you know, yeah. so, the, so the morality mm. of what I'm doing is important and, and it, it does matter to God and it matters to us and our souls, but either way we still get formed in some way. And mm. so what we're trying to do is say, what about the modern world is forming us in this way mm. where we feel anxious? And that's probably where we could go next. That's really helpful. That is, yeah, that is a very incredible um, picture. And I think, man, that was challenging to me because I'm, I am probably on the side of 40% of me says it's neutral, 60% of me says it's bad. <laughs> then there's like a 0.001% of me that's like, but some of it's good sometimes. <laughs> um, so that is, but that, that is a, that is such a challenge. Um, mm. And I think, I think part of, part of like what you said, um, that where I would that leads into my my next question that I think makes it hard for me where I feel that is there is so with the shovel technique right there's a there's a sense in which like I like pick up the shovel and I like choose to use it or like I put the shovel down and then I don't choose to mm -hmm. use it. It feels like today in a lot of ways there's a kind of like advancement in technology where sometimes like the shovel's put in your hands and it's like this is what we use yeah. now mm -hmm. and. Um, where th that is, I think that's where like my cynicism hikes up of like, well, but what if I don't want to use it? Or like, how do I, 
uh, how do I, what are, the, what are the other options? And so I, I think as as that continues to kind of snowball and grow um, and, you know, developments are, are coming. So like, for example, with uh, AI and just the rapid change um, that that has been bringing, you know, in our culture, like what, what have you been seeing as it relates to these topics um, that, you know, do they, how do they fit in those categories? Like, is that still something that we primarily look at and we see is like, no, this is a good advancement. Um, and it depends on how we use it. Um, is it, you know, well, depending on, you know, the specific kind, it can fall in a different category. Like, how do we, how do we kind of place that within the brackets that you you've given? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, you know, that when I give technology, I'm using this big giant term to right. mean, you know, anything yeah, yeah, yeah. useful that humans make, but we, we need to break it down further, particularly in the last couple hundred years. And, you know, there's the whole industrial evolution where we made, you know, physical things that were more powerful than humans and more powerful than horses. And we measure our cars and horsepower. There's that whole power revolution. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in the, but in the last maybe 50, 60 years, something like that, we're talking about this more computational digital revolution. And, you know, different thinkers will divide it up different ways. But sure. I think there is a big, big shift now. And a couple different thinkers have done it different ways. Albert Borgman is a great you know, Christian philosopher of technology. And he would, d- would distinguish between devices and tools. Mm. And he's kind of saying that a device is anything that does something for you. So in his day, in the, in the 70s, he's giving an example of like an axe where you chop down wood and you, you physically make fire versus a thermostat in the wall where you press a button and the commodity of heat comes out, that it hides a bunch of human processes behind that. So yes. he's saying it does something for you and it hides a human process. And then I think, you know, Andy Crouch and some other thinkers that I know you, you've talked to before, he does a great job of talking about, you know, it's, it's not just that it's digital or not, but it's it's whether or not it requires a certain amount of skill to use. Mm. So he talks about the difference between an, an instrument and a device. So an instrument could be like an electron microscope, this incredibly complex piece of technology that does require a lot of human ingenuity and knowledge and experience to use versus, or, or say like a piano that is this incredibly well-crafted piece of what you might think of as technology versus Spotify, right? Where you just press the button and music comes out. The commodity of music comes out just like a thermostat. And and the question I think in these things is, is how do these things form us in, in different ways? Yeah. So a, de- a device doesn't, um, it, it hides that process of chopping down wood. So the formation that happens in chopping down wood goes away. And we, as, as humans, I think we sense that um, devices are helpful for us in lots of ways, but that we still need to do some of the old things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, if we think about like that movie Wally a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. where these people yes. were, were just sitting in chairs and everything was done for them and then their bodies become kind of out of whack. And so they have to learn to do human things again. And that's why we exercise and jog and all this stuff. And when we go into a gym, we are literally choosing tools based on what part of our body we think it's going to form. And there's little illustrations that say, this will form your arms and this will form your legs. Yeah. And we do that intentionally. Most of the other tools we just do unintentionally. We just do kind of whatever is available to us. Mm. And that's really where we're not always uh, being super intentional about our lives and what kind of people we want to become. Yeah. That's really helpful. While um, it gives me nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> I was scared after I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also thoughtlessly watched robots fall in love with each other and thought that's really cute. There's a lot of, Wally's a great film that's got a lot of depth to it. Dude. See, me and my wife watched it and she was like, oh, that was, and I was like, this is terrifying. Like, where are we going? <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe to hone in, just thinking culturally about what what is a conversation. So we're talking about technology. Where this this category of how does how do these things form us? Yeah. I think when we ask the question, you know, we're in this we're in this topic of wisdom and that's kind of yeah. where we are in culture matters. And this to, the, to think through, how do I think wisely about technology? How do I use it wisely? What does it mean to be wise with technology? I think the categories you gave us is the first is we can't see it as neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, the the mm-hmm. second thing is how does it form up to understand that tools form us? We don't just use tools and form things with them. They also form us. Yes. And so asking the question, how is what we're partaking in and using, what, how is it shaping me, is a, a really wise way to think about the technology. Maybe moving the conversation one step deeper is just to ask, okay, what's been in the headlines recently? You mentioned AI, Ty, and this is one that's like, there's so many questions about it. I feel like, and, and maybe Dr. Dyer, you could help me tell me if I'm wrong, especially because you're a coder, you kind of know about this. I feel like we're on the cusp of something and I could be wrong, but it's like, you know, when the, when the iPhone came out, so smartphones, let's say, um, I'm sure there were people who sort of saw this and saw the next wave. You had things like Blackberry and email clients on phones that were starting to kind of come out, but I remember it and it felt sci-fi. It felt crazy. Like I remember when the first iPhone came out and it's like, wait a minute, this does what? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, pictures mm. this way, video. And it was rapid. I mean, like literally within, uh, what has it been, 12, 13 years mm-hmm. since it came out? Like the world's a different place, man. It is. Like it's crazy how different it is. Things like uh, social media, we never had conversations about it. My space was not, is not TikTok. You know, my space is not even Facebook. These, these kind of things have changed everything really um from from kids and how their brains are being i mean you could go on and on it feels like you know we're on the cusp of another one of those i could be wrong but just some of the things that are starting to come out with ai if you think about cars are going to drive themselves you know um you know uh uh robots are going to do our jobs you know whatever factory work and stuff like this now it's not just you know blue collar work i'm I'm putting air quotes around that that's being threatened uh you've got um ai generators that literally can draw pictures and art you know what i'm saying like better is a is a subjective term but than humans you've got a a, you've got um text generators that with a couple prompts can write a 20-page research paper that's annotated with a bibliography you know it's like there things are about to get crazy it feels like am i wrong Mm -hmm. as i read these am i being alarmist or what yeah yeah i I don't think you're being alarmist i mean it does feel like we're on the cusp of a pretty significant tech shift and on some on some parts of it, this has been happening for a long time. Right. So whenever we start the AI conversation, we often bring up things like anti-lag breaks that right. it is able to react to something and do something faster than the human can, and it's it's life saving and it's this great thing. Right, right. Um, but it's, but we don't really think of it as artificial intelligence because it can't talk back to us and it can't it's not cute and it doesn't fall in love with another robot, you know all that <laughs> stuff. But but there are there are all these steps in in AI, and maybe you think of a calculator as being intelligent in some way. But as we as we move to these things that are um, that you know you can have a conversation with and it feels really human, 
you know, back in the early days of computing, there was this Turing test that yep. if you could reasonably uh, fake somebody out on the other end where they didn't know if it was human or not and they couldn't guess. Um, and I think we're, we're at that stage where we're able, where these things are able to pass that Turing test. Yeah. And then you mentioned the speed thing. You know, there's always these these stats that would say, you know, how long did it take to get to a million users? So you've got maybe Twitter was two years and Facebook was 10 months and Instagram was two and a half months and chat GTP uh, was, or chat GPT. I always say it wrong for I some reason. Too. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was, it was five days. And so you wow. go, man, what, what was it about that thing that got to that speed? And what is it about this particular cultural moment? Because the GPT things have, have been out there. The, there's been a little pieces of news that were um, available in models. You could try stuff. There's companies that were actually built stuff on top of OpenAI for the last couple of years. But it was that moment when they released it to the public in November 2022, mm. where everybody just kind of freaked out and said, wait a second, something different is happening. And it was image generation tools. And so you can sense that, you know, how we search on Google is going to change, how we write things are going to change. Right. And one, one theory is that, you know, a lot of older technology went for blue collar jobs. Like, even even self-driving cars goes after the largest um, the largest job category for males in America. Right. But you know pundits don't think about that until it comes for their job. Right. Right. So now that you can g- generate, you, know, you can go to podcast.ai and you can hear these podcasts that are totally fake between you know Joe Rogan and Steve Jobs, wow. They're totally made up. But it's all AI generated. And so when it comes for the, the, the white collar jobs, then all of a sudden there's, there's an anxiety there mm. because it's going after education and it's going after lawyers and it's going after all that sort of stuff. Mm. And, um, and I think we're on the cusp of a lot of changes. Maybe we're in like the, the early, uh, you know, Palm Trio days, you know, we're, we're not quite an iPhone yet, but we're, we're at that early pre-smartphone day. Yeah, that's, I think, what's alarming to yeah. me is, is this idea. Okay. I want to do an aside. I want because I, you got some of <laughs> some of our listeners know I w- wanted to be a philosophy professor. That's all I wanted to be, and philosophy of the mind was where I was at. And so, this question of AI always and no one cared. I think what's true is there used to be this thing where we were asking lots of questions like what does intelligence mean? And what does artificial intelligence really Mm -hmm. mean? The Turing test is a great point. It's like, if it can trick us, is that all that matters? Is that really intelligence? Or even a better question is the concept of consciousness and intelligence or personhood and intelligence. And so like people would, would be asking these questions like, when does a robot deserve rights? You know, the ethics Mm -hmm. or like, Mm -hmm. when does, when, when does like, you know, consciousness emerge or true intelligence kind of emerge from a complex system. And there was always this in my mind as a philosopher of the mind, I always thought the defeater, there's an argument out there that's really great from a a philosopher named Searle is his last name. I can't remember his first name, but he had this defeater called the Chinese room argument. And the whole idea was if you have a person who sits in a box Mm -hmm. and they're fed you know, basically prompts like of Chinese characters and they understand rules of which characters to spit out on the other end. You could have a conversation. You and I could have a conversation in Chinese. Now, I don't, I don't know. I don't know you're behind the box or whatever, but it would look like this person understands and is speaking Chinese. And I'm, I'm kind of butchering the example, but I think you're getting the point. Basically prompts are fed in and prompts are fed out. The question was, does the guy inside the box actually know Chinese? Can he speak Chinese? And the answer was no, he can't. He can mimic this processes of inputs and outputs. 
And I always felt like it was a super strong defeater. Now, philosophy of the mind is like, I'm old. So it has moved yeah. way beyond. And people had these critiques of, well, it, it fails to account for certain systems. or And what it always felt like to me around this question of intelligence, do, does it really know? Mm-hmm. You know, can it really be? It felt like the ball was always moved. It was basically like, well, that's kind of an abstract thing. Intelligence isn't really, or consciousness isn't really, you just move the ball over and say, if it looks like it, I guess it is. Yeah. But now, and and I'd love for you to comment on any of that, Dr. Dyer. But what I would say is it feels like the generative AI thing, no one cares anymore. It's yeah. like, look, dude, mm-hmm. this, that's impressive. That's you know, it's like uh this thing is writing whatever. This thing's taking our jobs, this thing's moving on, and it, it's almost like who cares about the philosophical aspect? Like it's happening. We're feeling this thing. Yeah, what, yeah any comments? Mm. I'm not really asking a question on it as much as I am just kind of pontificating, but yeah. No, it is great because we're in some ways asking it, is the whole chat GPT thing, is, is that similar to this problem? And right. While you were talking, I went, I went into chat and I decided to say, do you think you are like the person in Searle's Chinese room example? Yeah. And so I, I, I'm looking at what it says here. Wow. Which is what all pod all podcasts that talk about chat they always are doing this this little trick right where we're going to ask it something but you know it, it has this statement where it says as a, as an AI language model there's some function that's similar to this who receives input in a language they don't understand and then it you know puts another paragraph and says however there are some important differences between the Chinese room theory and my function as an AI language model <laughs> and it goes on to give you some examples about how the sophisticated algorithms are used to generate output. And it's, so it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, what it thinks about itself in yeah. a certain kind of way. Yeah. And so we're asking, like, is is it really thinking about itself? And what what is the nature of this? And I think Ugh. that the the people who are making this stuff, I, I don't think um, at this point anybody is saying this is designed to mimic actual consciousness. Right. So the the model of the, the GPT model, which you probably read about and seen, but just... The, the simplest part of it is this um, generating text where it's it's reading the entire internet, reading every every single thing it can, and then it's getting probabilities between words. So, you know, when I say two plus two is, you kind of automatically say four, you're not really doing math, you're just automatically doing it. Right. Or Christian context, you know, we say for the wages of sin is, and we just know the answer, we're yeah. not doing theology, we just know the next thing. Right. Um, so it, it's doing that kind of thing. And yet um, that, that's been around for a long time. So there's a, a, a Russian mathematician named Markov who came up with this in like the 1850s. And um, I made a little website called worship.ai that does this with like, you can either take modern, modern worship lyrics, the Psalms or, or kind of ancient hymns. I didn't know that it was just you. puts it in and puts it out. <laughs> I have yeah, played yeah. <laughs> with that so much. That's amazing. I didn't realize that was yeah. you. Amazing. Yeah. So that's the simplest model where it's just predicting words. Right. And so if you, you know, say something like, um, I'm, I'm just trying to think of some, some kind of one or two words that you might, you are, and then it would be like, maybe the next most common word is my God or something yes. like that. And it would just do that. But then after God, it would be love. So you are my God loves. It, it doesn't make sense because sure. it's just the next word. So what these GBT models are that that T I think the transformer part is really doing a much more complicated than just the next word. It's looking at all kinds of contextual things right. and making much more complicated predictions, right? And I think that the the pre or the P or pre-trained is referring more to the the part of it where a bunch of humans have been paid a very very low wage because they're outside the U.S. to um, look at prompts and then rate them and rank them and mm. say, well, yeah, that that's super racist. And that sounds like a Nazi. Let's not do that. Yeah. Or that sounds too much like this. And that's actually not helpful or not factual. So it's 
grading it on this, you know, helpfulness and truthfulness and harmfulness scale. Wow. And and putting all that together is what is what makes this output seem so much better. Mm. And then one other thing is that it also has a, l- a little bit of randomness in it. Mm-hmm. And so if if you typed in the same prompt I just did, you'd get something a little bit different. Right. And so we this goes into this whole other fun thing for us to think about about how whenever a new technology comes along, it immediately seems like magic to us. It mm-hmm. just seems yeah. so cool. And then like tomorrow we're kind of bored with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 kind of past. Mm-hmm. This this novelty engine that's built into us is what drives, you know, gambling and that whole, yeah. whole sense of thing. And it's what drives, you know, pornography and the next darkest thing that we need to have to, right. to get the next hit high. Um, and so this thing, you know, probably if you listen to this podcast a year or two from now, you'd be like, Chad GPT, that's so boring. Right. There's the next thing, or if you listen to it tomorrow. But that little bit of novelty, though, is what is what keeps you at least on mm. there for a little bit longer than something else. And it's also, I think, you know, when you said, back to the beginning, you talked about us being, you know, cynical, is that whenever something comes along, at first, that thing seems like it's going to be so great, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, if you talk to somebody in the 1850s, and you said, you just take your clothes, and you put them in a machine, and they come out clean, they'd be like, that's amazing. Right. But we all hate doing laundry. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just right. this drudgery, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and we could go on with examples like like Zoom that we're doing right now. It makes right. it so convenient. But when we had to do it all day, we felt terrible. Right. You know? That it took out it took out all the trouble from us, mm. all the hard part of part of what it means to drive somewhere and be somewhere on time. And when sometimes when we reduce that pain, it ends up causing this other kind of pain. And I think yes. that's the cycle that we're in here. Where, you know, when we said technology is this theological good because it's part of what God commanded us to do in the world, that we are though made for some type of work and then some type of rest. And we just have blown that whole thing up, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. we believe we're like machines. We don't need to rest. Um, and we believe that we don't really need to work, that we need machines to work for us. And we just know we're out of whack and we're trying to figure out how do I have the right rhythm of, of work and rest that would be helpful to us. So good. It's just constantly messing up. And so Lent is a good time to reflect on and think about what kind of new patterns can I do? So I have a, a question that kind of I'm thinking more. I feel out of depths with you. This is blowing my mind. Um, <laughs> but some some small that's like entering my house. So when I you talked a little bit just now about um, yeah, just that comparison of like, oh, we like throw the clothes in the laundry and we you know and we hate it. But a long time ago, like that would have been seemed like an incredible thing. Um, and then yeah, still thinking about this idea of. Uh, what is, uh, how is the thing shaping us? What's taken away? Um, I am often struck. I'll give you an example. So um, um, I talk a lot about like thinking of, you know, growing my kids and um, trying to be a parent and like, how am I teaching them, you know, different things. And uh, we just bought a Roomba for our, our house and <laughs> they're, they're amazed by it. Uh, they, you know, they're like, the robots clean the floor and they like follow it around. I'm like, don't touch it. You'll mess up the, whatever it's doing. Um, I don't know. I'm sure those things have been around for a while. I'm late to the game. Uh, anyway, it's like, I had a thought um, a little bit after we had gotten it. Cause it was like, my son loves like, helping and so like he'll like go get the broom be like i'll sweep that he'll push the dirt all around he's not sweeping but in his mind he's like i'm helping daddy do the chores and then i'm Mm. like well i'm just gonna buy this thing and it's gonna go around and do it i don't need you to like try Mm. to learn that anymore um Mm. and there's one sense of like okay does he need to know how to sweep if the roombas are like the you know and there's all other kinds now and you know i think you can kind of make that argument i think so 
part of part of that idea of like, all right, the things that we do form us. So there's there's a way in which we can interact with technology and devices and things where we're not conscious of like what it's making us into. So we can we can engage in them, like you say, in a way that actually like shapes us in a way that that is not conforming us more into the image of God, which isn't good for us, obviously. Um, and I'm I'm often mm-hmm. thinking about uh, am I actively thinking about how the things that are no longer shaping me, like what what part of what that was shaping is then lost? Yeah, right? what am I missing? And, yeah, like what am I missing? So like this new thing has come and I don't have to do this and it is good and it's help, or helpful or whatever the case may be. Um, but it did, it was for a time useful in shaping people in this way. And so like, are we conscious about how in the absence of that thing, how am I still shaping, you know, kind of to your gym example earlier, right? Um, how mm-hmm. how can we be thinking about that? Uh, if if I'm thinking of you know particularly this um, you know bot and chat thing, like okay, this is this is good, but this is this is taking away a thing that we used to have to do. Uh, what does it look like to still shape ourselves in a way? Um, if I'm still trying to grow in wisdom, I still want to understand. Um, I'm thinking of a the, I, my mind goes to a, you know seminary student who uses a bot to write a paper. It's like man, like how am I? Mm-hmm. How, how do I need to guard myself? Because if technology is good and when it's not neutral, I know that right, the human heart's not not good, and, <laughs> nor is it neutral. And so how, how do I need to be conscious mm. of my own motive even as I'm in, engaging with stuff? I don't know mm. if that quite that, a lot that made sense. but <laughs> Yeah, it's all so good. I mean, I think you're asking a lot of the right questions. And, and the Roomba is such a great, potent example for so many things because you know, I think the more embodied a robot is and the more anthropomorphic it is the more we attribute you know feelings to it and mm. we think about it we give it you know we give it names and that kind of thing we don't usually give our phones names yeah, my but we do our good vibes. <laughs> there you go yeah absolutely yeah uh it's so fun to think about those things and and that whole that whole question that of um you know how we treat say for example a robot how does that form the way we might treat a person you know so are we mean to alexa and all that so there's that whole hmm. line of thinking that we are it's worth uh, spending some time on. And then, and then there's, I think your better questions about what is the relational shaping part? And am I creating spaces intentionally for, you know, relational connection? Cause it doesn't have to be over sweeping, you know, it could be over cooking or mowing the lawn or whatever it is. But right. I think that place where the technology is replacing something and we're asking what, what is it actually replacing? Cause sometimes we think it's, it's replacing toil or something that's hard, but it may actually be replacing genuine human connection. And I think it's really easy to see that in the case of social media, that it often is replacing genuine human connection for some perceived sense of influence or making a difference or taking a stand or something like that. Right. Um, and so here you've identified a, a, an important place. And I think we could say the same thing about you know a microwave versus cooking a meal, that sometimes that time spent cooking a meal could actually be across the table with somebody. So I think we just have to be a lot more intentional about, well, just like we are with, you know, exercise and food to shape our bodies. And we might need to be the same way about how we're shaping our mind. Like what type of mind do I want to develop? And that may influence the types of technologies that I use and how that changes it. And then I think relationally is that other category, something, you know, body, maybe mind, and maybe relationships. And I'm looking at each of those and going, where am I, how can I use, and I, I use this phrase, how can I use technology for the table? How do I direct mm. it in, in a way that it actually gets me there? So we used you know, email and text and stuff like that to set up this meeting. Where we're actually able to have some live interaction for that. Right. But um, you know, maybe we could have been 
on an actual table if I had taken a little bit more effort to drive over there. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> so there's there's those those trade offs that we sometimes do. And, but I think so often, you know, technology is, is diverting us for, instead of being around a table where we're looking at each other's eyes, we're all, we're all looking at our own screens, you know, and we're not mm. looking at each other. And so we're trying to say, how do I redirect those things? And, and I think looking, one easy way to do this, I think, is just to look at your day and look at, you know, what are the patterns there? So that the biggest pattern I'm currently trying to break right now is that when I wake up, the first thing I'm trying to do is to go outside for five or 10 minutes, just to be, you know, in, in nature. And, and be surrounded by that before I do a bunch of screen stuff, and just to have that that little bit of upset that I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna make some physical claim about what I actually am, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do it, not just just say it, and that's a real real challenging thing. So I think changing behaviors is is really really important in, in interrogating those behaviors, and then I think just doing it in a community of people, doing it with people, and yeah. asking them what do, what do you see. And I think the lens of our kids is so different because they don't know, just like we don't know a world without airplanes and cars mm. and TVs, you know, they don't know a world without TikTok. It's, it's just totally foreign to them to think about that before and after. Mm-hmm. But once they get to be about 10, 12, 13, 14, there's, there's always going to be some change that they can reflect on. And once you have that, you can reflect on them like, what was it like before, you know, X? And then, then you start to have that conversation with them and, and see yourself through their eyes. I think, um, I, I love I'm, – I'm trying to write down some categories to think through. As we've been yeah. talking and evaluating, mm. it's like effort is a category associated with these. Mm. It, I think the, the the device versus tool is really great. And But as I'm trying to tease out what makes something a tool versus a device, um, I'm just thinking through categories. Effort is one. It's like effort seems to be good. There needs to be some cost. Mm-hmm associated with what we do and it seems like most technology is about trying to reduce the cost um it's tactile um now technology can be but i Mm -hmm. I do think there's something about the shovel Mm -hmm. i can touch it i can hold it i can there's a and maybe maybe that's the least important one there's some kind of relational Mm -hmm. aspect that we've just been talking about does it lead towards relation or does it lead towards isolation and maybe you can't ask this about everything and then the last one was you brought up choice but i like the idea of intentionality behind it like am i am i Mm -hmm. not thinking through what this is doing or am i trying to think about what Mm -hmm. this is doing it's so hard as as Mm -hmm. all of these technologies sort of come together like i didn't think at all about the fact that we're using zoom or microphones or right. what you know or a printed out stuff like he is on a screen y- yeah right and i'm in lint um, yeah. <laughs> but no i mean um you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> i think i think um yeah i think to, to a certain degree it's like yeah some things become automatic i yeah i, I guess maybe to try to I want to ask it this way, and then I want to move into maybe just really focusing in on some what what would how do we think through this as Christians? But maybe one question is: Is there any technology that's just bad, like that we shouldn't? Like I think you know, as we're thinking about this, there's this thing where it's like, um, you know, the Roomba. The cost is now your son and you don't do the broom thing anymore, and yeah. maybe he's not learning about cleaning. Like, is there any sort of technology that actually atrophies us? And what's so hard about that to me is like, it always sounds like the person fighting progress. Like, my favorite is always to go back and you like, 
you know, you, you find the old quotes about something and you're like, wow, man, they're talking about AI. And it's like, no, actually they were talking about the printing press. And you're yeah. like, oh no. Yeah. You know? And it's like, <laughs> I don't want to be, yeah. you know, like when the printing press came out, everyone's like, this is terrible for society, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with like Twitter. I'm mm-hmm. like the chief of like, now we only know how to speak in 180 characters or whatever it is. It's like, I sometimes I just I'm getting older and I feel like I just sound like a dinosaur. But like, is there any technology that's really it's like, hey, we actually just shouldn't use this. Like, it's really actually going to be bad for you. And, you know, part of me feels that about social media. Like, I really do. Like, I don't know a single person who has stopped using social media. That's like, man, I really wish I was still on that. You know what I mean? And at the same time, I've had the press of like, hey, that's where your people are. How much better would it be if you were engaged in social media? This is like Mason King, who's been on the show and works at The Village. He's like, you could be mm-hmm. on that and directing people out. So he his updates are always like, here's a great book to read. To your point, Dr. Dyer, about like using technology to yeah, drive us to, to other push things. push to the table. It's yeah. like at the same time, if we don't use something, are we missing something? You, you said if we mm-hmm. use something, are we missing something? Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, if we don't use something, are we missing something? Mm-hmm. So taking all of that word vomit and trying to make something out of it, mm-hmm. Dr. Dyer, is there anything where you're like, yeah, we just shouldn't go down that road? Um, and then maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more on the on the what if we if we if we're at if we just abstain, could we potentially be missing something? Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Yeah, minutes are so good. Well, I'm going to take like a five-second detour just to yes, say please. one of the things, and you mentioned a book earlier that I wrote that was, so I wrote this book from the Garden City back in 2011. Yeah. And it makes that basic argument. You were trying to, we're trying to walk through the biblical story and say, here's all these little places where God seems to make technology part of the story from mm. you know Noah's Ark to the tabernacle system and this whole way of being that's forming them in a particular direction mm-hmm. um, to the cross itself. You know, we, we, we use the word, the cross to mean so much to us, but that's a, that's a device meant to kill somebody. Right. And then toward the end mm. that, that we move from the garden to the city that God doesn't just take us back to the garden, no. but he, he brings down a city full of human things, roads and trumpets and manners and yeah. maybe iPads. And wow. that's where we're going to be in the future. So there is this trajectory that's so good. And that, even some of the technology you mentioned before, like medical technology, that's one of those things that won't be there right. because everything's been healed. And, and so sometimes our technology points us there in like an indirect way. Yeah. And other technology, we go, I, I don't, I don't think that guns and killing machines will be there. Right. And there's this, uh, there's these passages about not destroying technology, but about you know taking short swords and bending them into into something that could actually be used for human flourishing. So mm. I think there are some of these these things of destruction that I think ultimately are malforming us that even though we can defend somebody with it, that in, in the end, we would um, we would want those to be changed. So I think there's maybe two, oh, and, oh, let me just say this too, is that the updated edition of the book, one of the things I spent some time on was that di- that distinction between tools and devices. Yeah. Some of the things that you mentioned, I think one one important thing for me is that most most tools I think of as being single purpose, like a shovel or a hammer or a pen. But I think our modern devices are so multi-purpose mm. that they have a kind of ambiguity to them. You don't really know what your phone is for because it's it's for everything. Right. And so you can find yourself lost in it because it doesn't have a purpose. Mm. And so I would use that. I, I call that teleological ambiguity, which is this fancy oh, term good. for like, it doesn't have a, Direct it's not aim. clear yeah. what direction it's going in. And I think that's that's where we live right now. So to answer your bigger question of of maybe what technology should we avoid, I think we got to step back and say, who do we want to become? Mm. So we want to fulfill these two big commands. 
love the Lord our God with our heart, sound, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. So how do I become that? Not just how do I, how do I do that? Like I could press buttons online that like I could press a pray button online or something like that. <laughs> it would be doing that, but I'm not, I'm not actually becoming a praying person when I do that. Mm. Um, and most of us, for example, we know more about celebrities than we do our neighbors. Right. So we're forming ourselves in that, in that wrong direction. Mm. So I think restarting with that question of saying, you know, the basic philosophical question, what is the good life? What does it mean to be human? What am I trying to do? Yes. And then trying to think of, how do I set myself in that trajectory? So I, I'm i doing a half marathon in a couple of weeks and I had to you know, build a plan in order to become the kind of person that can do a half marathon. Right. That, that's really, really different than, than just saying, I, I like half marathons and I watch them on TV. I actually have to become a half marathoner. Mm. And so there's a question of how do I become a neighbor? And it's probably not a lot of social media. Right. right? It's, it's probably not um, a, a lot of, of entertainment consumption. You know, it's it's something else. So I, I would start with that question, and then I, and then again with the question of if we're moving from the garden to city, you know, and we're thinking about what technologies might be in that day. Now we don't want to over literalize and, and do something weird with our eschatology, sure. but we do want to think about man, what what is the world that um, I'm from, I'm from BTS after all. Right. Yeah. And, and so we don't want to be thinking about this future world and, and, and going, man, how do I live in light of that day? How do I live in light of that day with the tools I'm using today? And those are some of the types of questions that we want to answer that I think will are asked that I think will help us better than just looking at the tool totally in a naked environment right. and saying, should I use this or not? That's really it's this question of what I want to become and how do I love my neighbor? That is really helpful because what that also does is it leaves room for there might be tools and devices that aren't good for Adam because if you're trying to become this thing this right. isn't going to help you on the road there that like in in my becoming and depending on what what that looks like it's like man this might actually be helpful right for me and and what God has called me to do mm. um to where it's maybe not just this blanket thing but it is this kind of uh, lift, lifting it up, uh, and and asking God. Um, it's the the picture I always get from the second book in C.S. Lewis's space trilogies. The like the the green, the woman mm. from the planet. She's like a basically like a Eve, but like everything she picks up that she hasn't discovered mm. before, she like asks is asks you know God like you know what is this like is this good for me should I use it oh, okay, and it's like and mm. then from there like I determine. Uh, my engagement with it. And yeah, th there's something that that makes all of our interactions with whatever we're doing intentional, which go, I mean, goes back to the, to the choice, mm -hmm. right? Is it's really mm -hmm. not just becoming a kind of passive uh, player in, in our engagement with the things around us, but actively um, thinking about, Hey, like, what am I trying to become? What is this thing meant to shape me into? That's not helping me towards my goal. Maybe I need, maybe I don't need that. That might be good for somebody else, but I I don't. Mm. Um, that that's a really helpful category. Yeah. Well, Doctor Dyer, as we look to be other centered, right? We're we're always asking this question of what it means to be a neighbor, and we've talked about that a little bit. How how can we maybe think of what it looks like to love others well with technology? Well, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about just the role of education, and you know, sometimes education is reduced to like information transfer and. You know, in that in that context, you know, that the chat tool completely dominates that and makes it totally irrelevant. Right. But I I need to love my students well enough to care more about their souls than their output. Right. And they need to know that I I care more about their formation than just giving them information. Mm. 
And I find that challenging because I like making pretty PowerPoint slides and going through them. You sure. know, I like talking about all the stuff and showing them all the things. But for example, one of the classes I get to teach is on Trinitarianism. And I want someone not to just know the doctrine, but I do want them to know the God and to think Trinitarianly when they read scripture, when they when they baptize for sure. But even when they when they share the gospel, I want them to I want this to be the thing that channels their mind. It needs to be this thing that everything fits through the triune God. And so when I think about it that way, and I'm going to teach differently, and I'm mm. trying to learn to teach differently, that I'm not just giving them the history. I'm not just giving them the information because chat can probably do that better than I can. Right. But what I can do is is care about making them the kind of person that thinks and breathes and eats and ministers in a Trinitarian way. And I think when I think about that, um, then that shapes what education should be, that it's it's formation, not just information. Mm. And then if I step back and I think about the role of the church or the role of being a parent or even the role of being a friend, that that's the kinds of things that we're trying to do. We're not just, uh, everything isn't just transactions, that it is it is deep human relationships with one another and with God. And if I can use technology in service of that, that's great. But I probably should also be super skeptical because most most of our modern devices have a bunch of people with PhDs on the other end trying to get me to use it over and over and over again right. for things that will make them money. And um, that's usually, I need to be skeptical about that. And so I do need to develop a little bit of that, not cynicism, but a little bit of skepticism and probably think, in most cases, I probably don't need to use this. Mm. In most cases, a, a more embodied thing is going to be better. But that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm anti-technology or anything like that. I just want to be reflective about it. That is brilliant and really helpful. And Dr. Dyer, thank you so much for being on the show today. And as I I just, as we wrap up, thinking about asking the question, what does being wise with technology look like? Just some of the simple takeaways are um, starting with the question of who do we want to become? Yeah. Starting with the question of how is this going to make me love Jesus more, enjoy God more, love my neighbor more? I think those kind of questions, because that's who we are ultimately trying to become as Christians, are so important. And then that second piece that you were just talking about, which is, as I look to love others well, the questions I can be asking is not simply, how do I pass information on? But as I'm being formed, how do I help form and shape others? Or or maybe just recognizing that reg- whether I want to or not, my interactions and relationships are going to shape and form right. others and myself. And so asking the question, does the technology I'm using help me in that endeavor to both be formed into the image of Christ mm-hmm. and to love others into the image of Christ as well? I think it's so important. And again, Dr. Dyer, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, hopefully we get to have you back soon. We can continue this conversation because there's so many more questions I want to ask. But yes. yeah, thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode is produced by Chelsea Conway with editing and support from The Good Podcast Company. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can message us on social. You can check the show notes for more information on how to best connect with us, as well as connect with our guests and ways to support their work. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.